God's church say amen. Oh man. Well, there's no easy way to get to this, but Amanda and I have a very, very big announcement to make that we're very excited about. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Amanda and I are entering our names in next week's chili cook-off, all right? <laughs> and anybody who is going to enter a dish and a chili next week better bring it because we're, we are gunning for that number one spot. <laughs> Lori, you better bring your A-game. Last week we had seen Jesus say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they shall be satisfied. And there in Matthew chapter 5, in the very next verse, in verse 7, Jesus continues this. And he says, how blessed, or, or in other words, anybody who is like this is to be envied, is to be happy. He says, next in verse 7, blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And every time that I hear that word mercy... What I'm reminded of is that we need mercy every single hour of the day. And yet the thing about mercy is that so much more than we need mercy, you and I are in dire need of, of actually showing mercy to other people even more so because we have harmed just as many people as we've been harmed by. And in fact, here is how important it is for, for us to be merciful. Where in Mark's gospel, as Jesus is explaining, here is what I want you, anytime that you're going to pray, this is how you pray. And Jesus says that whenever you stand praying, I want you to forgive other people. What he's saying, in other words, is that if you are praying, then you need to be forgiving. I mean, it's just how much we need to be offering forgiveness for other people. And yet this is not the way that the world works, is it? I mean, it's just not the way that it goes in, in our world. We, we live in a world that's very unmerciful. We live in a world that loves to remember what we've done to them. We live in a world that, that keeps score and that loves to get even, but I think showing mercy is so much harder than even that because, I mean, let's be honest. Being a consistently merciful person is not exactly an easy lifestyle for us to, to live from day to day. It was Gandhi who had said it very well when he said that those who show mercy and those who show forgiveness have this reputation that they're very weak people. But actually, the exact opposite is true. Weak people can never forgive other people. It's only those who are the very strongest who can arrive at forgiveness. And I, I hear a lot of wisdom in those words. I find it interesting how in Scripture, all the number of times we see mercy going hand in hand with, with, with many variations of numbers in the Word of God. And I believe that's because where, where God knows where we are most lacking as, as individuals this is his way of really helping us understand this in ways that, that are relatable to us. In a lot of ways, 
you and me becoming merciful individuals, it is a lot like this arithmetic that we must learn. Now, I don't know how you were in school at math, but, but I was pretty lousy at, at it. I could do all the stuff that I actually need in the real world, and that's great. But I never did very well at calculus or at all that other stuff. And yet, at times, it feels like learning to be a merciful person, it's kind of like learning calculus. It's not impossible, but it's something that, really, it's an art form that we've got to learn. And so in Matthew chapter 18, and in verse 21, is where I would like to go for the remainder of, of our time together here this morning. Matthew 18 and verse 21. We see the very first of these, these numbers as we see Jesus yet again speaking to his disciples. He's teaching them. And there, one of his students, whose name is Simon Peter, he, he asked Jesus a question. He says, Teacher, how often shall a brother sin against me and I forgive him? Shall I forgive my brother up to seven times? And I know that as Peter says this, he has a very animated expression on his face, and we'll get to that in a moment, but, but notice what Jesus says in response. He says, Peter, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Well, really in order for us to really understand just what exactly is going on in this conversation, we, we have to adopt a Jewish perspective here. Because Peter is living in a time in first century Palestine where the custom amongst Jewish people was if somebody has wronged you one time, forgive him from the heart. Absolutely. And if he comes back a year later, two years later, and he does it all over again, forgive him again. Let him see the love of God in you. And yet once he has sinned against you that third time, then you can cut that person off and you can stop showing mercy. Three times is the extent of the mercy that you are obligated to extend to your sister or to your brother or to your neighbor. And so that was what the perception was. And so in this time, truly it was, just like in baseball, three strikes and you're out. And if they were anything like, like we have been in our past or like most people are, as much as it hurts whenever anybody hurts us, when it's gone on two or three or four times, it begins at times maybe to actually feel good to us that, that wait a minute, I've got something that I can hold over this individual's head. They have done all of these things to me, and so now I have a power over this person. I can stand up here on a pedestal, and I can say that you did this to me, and I will forevermore am going to define you by your worst moment and by your worst doing so at times there is an eagerness once you get to this third time that i don't have to forgive this person anymore it's kind of like like this
you have hurt me for the very last time, right? And now I get to hold this over you for the rest of your life, no matter how many times you apologize profusely to me. That's it, dude. Three strikes and you're out. And so as Peter says this to Jesus, Peter thinks that he has come up with this insanely lavish generosity as far as mercy showing goes. Because in our custom, it's three times. And yet now Peter in his mind is thinking, man, I'm going to go more than twice that. What if we were to forgive somebody seven whole times, Jesus? And it's really why Jesus refers to to his apostles as well as to, to you and me as his little children because as little children, this is, it's so innocent, but this is just about the best that we can come up with in our wildest dreams. Seven times we could forgive somebody. And yet again, what does Jesus say? I say to you, not seven whole times, as wonderful as it is, Peter, but 70 times seven. Now this is what is blowing everybody's minds as he says this. And what we need to understand about Jesus as he says seven times 70 is not literally 490 times where it's like, okay, well, Jesus said seven times 70. So now a person has just wronged me 491 times. So now I guess that's the, the um, full extent of God's mercy. But really what Jesus is doing is he's referring to a passage way back in Genesis chapter four, where after Cain had killed his brother, Abel, it says in Genesis 4.24 that, that if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77 times fold. This is what Jesus is referring to. Of course, in these days, this was a time in the history of the world where it was this very scary, violent combination of the mafia and the wild, wild west to where if you wrong me in any minor way, I'm going to, to hit you back seven times seventy. And so the perception in this time was, I mean, not a far cry from, from something like this, is that, okay, you just stole a donkey that had belonged to me, so now I'm going to rape your daughter. And then the other guy comes back and says, well, you just raped my daughter, so I'm going to light your, your um, whole house on fire. The other guy comes back and says, well, you just lit my house on fire, so now I'm going to kill your wife. I mean, it was just anarchy. I mean, where does it end when we go like this and it wasn't that much much greater really as jesus comes on the scene here on the sermon on the mount because this was a generation where it had then become an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth that was what the arithmetic of mercy had become and yet now what jesus is saying as he says this is that he's applying this exact same measure once used and once reserved for vengeance and for retribution and, and for getting even. But now Jesus is completely reversing that system. And now he's saying, this is how you are to love and forgive each other. This is how merciful you've got to be, just like it was in those days only for, for grace and for love and for forgiveness. And this is exactly what we read in many of the letters that the Apostle Paul writes. He writes to the church at Ephesus, for instance, and he says that, that at one time you were dead in your sins and trespasses in that way in which you had once walked. And yet the two most relieving words ever written, but God. 
but God being rich in mercy, but God being rich as a merciful, omnipotent God, because of the great love with which he loved you, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ. And as he writes elsewhere, he has forgiven us of all of our sins. And friends, I want us all to remember that, that it's not just one or two or three or even six or seven times he's forgiven us. It's not even 490 times that he's forgiven us, but he has forgiven us seven times 70, times 70 times seven, times 70 times seven to the 700 millionth degree and power. This is how he forgives us. And so Jesus is saying, no more is it going to be strike three and you're out. It's not even going to be strike six or strike seven, but it's going to be 70 times seven. And it is a beautiful thing. And then in the very next verse, he gives us yet another number of the arithmetic of mercy. And that is, is this, or, or actually he says also in Luke chapter 17, he says, be on your guard. Even if your brother sins against you, yes, rebuke him, but if he keeps on sinning against you seven times in the same day, and seven times that day he keeps coming back to you saying, I'm so sorry I did this, I repent, I won't do it anymore. He says, even if it's seven times in one day, you need to forgive him like that. Again, it's seven times 70. And yet then in the very next verse though, we see yet another number, and that is 150,000 years. And now what Jesus does is he shifts from, from mere speech. And to emphasize what he's saying and to drive his point home for us, as he does in the Gospel of Luke, as, as it pertains to, to mercy, on one occasion he's, he has a story about a good Samaritan who comes along and he shows mercy on his embedded enemy while his own religious countrymen walk by on the other side. And Jesus asks a lawyer, which one of these has proven to be his neighbor? And then comes the answer that, well, it's the one who showed mercy on him. Jesus says, very good. And now go and do likewise, just like that good Samaritan did. And here in our text, here in Matthew chapter 18, we might imagine as a curtain opens up on a stage and it unveils just this beautifully lit atmosphere of a king sitting on his throne. This king has a scepter in his hand and he's being fed food and wine. and He has a messenger who is at his side who is announcing to all of, you know, a long list of slaves who have come who, who owe him something. And we might imagine one man comes and he owes one week's worth of wages, as often happened in that time. And so he makes his restitution and, and he leaves and he goes on his merry way. And yet then though, as, as Act 1 unfolds, there's this other guy and everybody is aghast in the room with just complete shock as as the messenger of the king announces for everybody, he says that you owe 10,000 talents to the king. Now that number might not do anything for us, but, but one talent in this time was worth one, one year's wages. And that alone would be horrible enough to owe somebody. 
But this is not what this guy owes. This guy owes 10,000 talents. Or in other words, this guy owes his king 150,000 years worth of wages. This is not a small number. It's been said that the average American makes give or take 40 grand a year. So if we were to take even that number and to multiply it in this way, this guy owes somewhere in the proximity of $6 billion to his king. Imagine being there inside the king's palace as it is announced that you owe $6 billion. And this guy knows that there is no, I mean, it's impossible for him to pay this money. And yet the king repeats it. His voice grows even louder and he says, you owe me $6 billion right now. And will that be Visa or MasterCard? <laughs> Taking into account the severe and ruthless nature of this crime and the bleak prospects for your rehabilitation, I hereby sentence you to serve 125 years in the custody of the Commissioner of the Department of Corrections. <laughs> No, 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 sit, 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 sit. You know that, that your, your, your life is not where you want it to be when the only word in your, in your vocabulary becomes W-A-A-A-A, you know. But this guy is scared. And so Jesus says that, that he falls flat on his face at the feet of the king. And he's trembling. And he's weeping and he is sobbing and he, and he begs his king, implores his king, please have mercy on me. If you will have mercy on me, I don't know how, but, but I will repay you everything that I have. I will see that you get this money. And yet the king says, no, you owe me 150,000 years worth of money. And so here's what is going to happen for you. You, your wife, and, and all of your um, sons and daughters are going to be sold into slavery, which had been code in this time for you may never get to see your own family ever again because you're going to be separated. And everything that you own, whether it's your house or your possessions, anything that is in your possession is going to now be in my possession. It's going to be sold so that I can at least get a little bit back in return. And this guy is shaking even harder now. He is lapsing into a state of hysteria. He says, please have mercy on me. There, there has to be some other way. I will get this money back to you. And as much as this king had, had shocked everybody in the room announcing his outstanding debt in the first, it pales in comparison to the amount of pure shock that is falling upon this room where the very next words out of his king's mouth is, your debt is no more. I am releasing you from your obligation to this debt. You don't owe me anything anymore. You are free to go. And I mean, imagine how this guy would have felt thinking that, that I'm going to spend the rest of my life as a slave I'm not going to have a family anymore. I'm not going to have a name anymore. I'm going to die in slavery with absolutely nothing. And now all of a sudden that, that 
horrific nightmare and that living hell has now been been completely absolved and he's been spared and again he falls flat on his face and he is hogging at the at his king's feet thank you so much oh merciful king he stands up and he's kissing his his ring thank you so much and he walks out of his king's palace and the curtains close to act one and I wish that were the end of the story. I really do, because that is such a happy ending, isn't it? And yet Jesus likes to have these huge plot twists, though, and these spins to the story. Really, the whole reason why Jesus tells most of his parables is to get to, to his spin in the story, because this is where he really starts instructing us. This is where he shows us what we look like in the mirror. Whereas the curtains open up, it's, it's a lot like in the parable of the prodigal son. As the son comes back and, and his father runs and he embraces him, kisses him, throws a huge party for him, that would be such a great ending, but it's not the ending. Because he's got to get to that older brother. Well, in this parable, there is yet another older brother kind of individual, but, but ironically, it's the last person we would expect to play the role of the older brother. This man who has just been forgiven of all of this incredible debt. He's been forgiven of 150,000 years of debt, but he sees a guy in the street corner as, as he leaves the king's palace. And he owes him three months rent, basically. He owes him three months worth of wages. And now what registers in this guy's mind is that, man, this is the greatest day of my life. This is such a lucky day for me because not only have I been forgiven of my $6 billion worth of debts, but now I see a guy who owes me money and I'm going to cash in even more. And so without even thought, he just runs up to this guy in the street and starts, he starts confronting him. Hey man, you owe me money. You need to give me my, my three months worth of wages right now. And I just want to ask us, which one would we at least think would be easier to forgive somebody of or to give others more time for? Six billion dollars, 150,000 years, or just three months worth of revenue? It would seem like it would be one plus one equals two, or zero plus zero equals zero. It's so simple. And yet we take basic mercy arithmetic and we turn it into calculus. And we just completely forget of what God has accomplished in our very own lives. So he grabs this guy by the throat and now he's choking him. He's begging him, please, Give me just a little more time and I will repay every last dime that I owed you. Just, just give me a little more time. Show me mercy. And does this sound familiar to us? I believe Jesus is telling, is really going to the trouble of telling all of this to us in this way, in a story, because Jesus understands that this is a very human problem. I imagine that there is not one person in this auditorium who, who has not done this several times over in their lives. I know that I have. Where it's like we, we have this merciful amnesia where, where we just forget. 
And we don't treat people like God has treated us. I mean, an unforgiving heart is such a disgusting heart. An unmerciful spirit is such a hellish spirit to have. When God, through His Son Jesus, has forgiven us of so much worse stuff, so much worse stuff than anything anybody in this world could ever possibly do to us. And we've been harmed before, haven't we? There are people who have done unforgivable stuff to us. And yet that stuff pales in comparison to what we know that we've done to Jesus and to other people. And yet this is what Jesus does for us on the cross. Where we know that at one point that, that he prays on the cross, but what's interesting though is that in the original Greek language, this is not, not just one prayer, but, but it's six consecutive hours of continuously Jesus looking up in the, there into the clouds and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, he's looking at his worst, bitter enemies in this world. People who, at this very moment in time, as he, as he hangs and suffocates agonizingly to a slow death, they are still marching up to the foot of the cross and they are cursing him out, saying all kinds of insulting, humiliating things to him. And he looks at them and he looks at the entire human family across time. And across history, he looks at this auditorium, all, all of those years ago, and he says, Father, forgive them, have mercy on them, be merciful towards them. Because they don't even know what they're doing right now. They just don't know. Well, that's the end of Act 2, but as Act 3 begins, now we see this man who has been forgiven of, of all this debt after he has thrown his brother into jail and prison. He goes home and, I mean, his life has just become a musical. It's like West Side Story. You know, he's just dancing around, singing. And, and he gets a very expensive dinner for, for his family to eat. And they're, they're just on cloud nine. And they are just rejoicing at this perfect day of theirs. When all of a sudden, there is a very emphatic knock on the door. And he opens up the door and... It is an officer in the key, of, of the army of the king. And what rushes into this guy's mind is that, man, this day just keeps getting better. The king wants to give me even more stuff. This king has even more that he wants to give me. And, and boy, does he ever, by the way. Well, he goes back into the king's palace expecting him to be just as jubilant as he is, but... He's a little surprised to see that the king is very angry, very incensed. He is apoplectic at him. Because he has just received word from, from all of his slaves that, that we just saw that guy who you just had absolved that, that huge astronomical debt of. And I mean, he was choking a guy who owed him three months worth of rent. And he says that there in the text, Jesus says a statement that, that has always stuck with me as far as how he loves us, where, where he says that, that I forgave you all of that debt. I forgave you all of that debt. Should you also not have shown mercy to a guy who has wronged you just a little bit here? And yet that's not what he did. And so the king says, guess what, dude? 
your $6 billion outstanding debt, it's back on. I'm putting it back on the register. And it's going to get even worse for you this time, though, because I have men employed in my army who, whose only sole responsibility is to torture criminals. And I'm going to turn you loose on them for the rest of your life. And then as Act 3 comes to an end and the curtains close, Jesus speaks to everybody who is actually living in this world. And he says very, very chilling words about mercy and about forgiveness when he says, this is what my Father will do to each of you if you do not forgive your brother and your sister from the heart. And so we see that a huge part of forgiveness is, do I want to be forgiven? If we're going to be unforgiving and unmerciful, then, then it is an acceptance that, well, I don't want God to ever forgive me of what I've done. I don't want the mercy of God now or on the day of judgment. And that's a place where I don't want to be. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be there anymore. I've been there many times in my life. Well, he gives us yet another number that, that really jumps out of my mind. It's not in the text, but it is 22 trillion, 21 billion, 736 million, 421 or 412,929 dollars and eight cents. We need to take up a collection this morning. You know, it's, it's <laughs> what this number is as you may have already guessed, is our national debt in New York. But the thing about this clock that always makes me think is that it's a clock that never stops. This is what it looked like Friday afternoon in my office. Notice how this clock never stops. It's always climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. When I see this clock, I'm looking directly into what I would look like if there was no Jesus. Into what you and I would all look like in terms of our sins. If Jesus never went to that cross and if we never came up from the waters of baptism. I mean, this is what we would look like. We are consummate experts at iniquity and sin. In fact, it says in the book of Psalms that, that, oh Lord, if you were to even start counting sins, who could stand before you? Because nobody could dare stand before you if you're going to forevermore hang what we did over our heads without giving us mercy. Amen. And yet this is what we do when we, we hold the sins of our brothers and sisters and our fellow man against them. We, we just gleefully broadcast exactly how how much you have wronged me and yet this is what christ has accomplished for us how how in the book of isaiah it says that you have cast all of our sins behind your back he says through the prophet micah that 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 who is a god like you who even forgives sin who even pardons our iniquity, but, but you have taken all of our sins and, and you have cast it into the very remotest regions of the sea. You have drowned our sins. Or as the psalmist says, that, that as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our sins away from us. 
This is our story right here. We had, we had owed him $22 trillion, but, but in the blink of an eye when we came up from that water, and, and much later on as we continuously confess our sins, John says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse our souls from all unrighteousness. Really, the thing about God's mercy is that as unfair as it seems, as, as ludicrous as it seems, He looks on us as if we have never sinned a day in our lives. And the clock that had once struck 22 trillion, now that very same clock is striking zero. See, this is why we call this good news. And why that word good is such a vast understatement, because it's great news, isn't it? This is why we are here this morning. See, nothing proves more clearly that we have been forgiven by our God than by our own willingness to forgive each other. When we forgive other people, we are acknowledging that I have failed, that I have hurt other people as well, that I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that we ourselves are the ones standing in need of the mercy and of the grace of Almighty God. And yet again, we, we have very chilling words from Scripture that, that, that really echo and crescendo what Jesus has, has already said about if we do not show mercy to each other. James says, so speak and so act as those who are being judged by the law of liberty. And here's where it gets chilling. For judgment will be merciless to the one who shows no mercy. For mercy triumphs, it defeats, it conquers all judgments. And I am, um, I learned just, just last week, I, I never knew this until last week as I was preparing for this, but in the Greek, what the word judgment means, it means that when we judge another person, we are cutting them. That we are separating our, our association from them as human beings. And now we are severing the way that we, we look at them in our minds. And yet I love that word mercy in the Hebrew language. So beautiful. What it means to be, a, a, I'm a person who shows another person mercy. Is that yes, it means compassion, but it also means womb. What this means is that rather than, than, than looking down forevermore on a person and completely divorcing myself from the way that, that I, I think about them as a person, when I show that very same person mercy, I am giving new birth to that relationship and association. I am resurrecting the way that, that I look at that person, even though they have done all of these horrific things to me. This is incredible news. And so I just want to ask us very obvious question, very easy answer. Do you need mercy this morning? Do I need mercy? Boy, do I ever. And yet unmerciful... I mean, it just leaves me speechless. All the times in my life where I have actually been so unmerciful towards a person who had wronged me that I actually hated them. You see, unforgiveness and being unmerciful is tearing people apart. It's tearing God's church apart when we do this. 
And so for everybody who needs mercy, and that is everybody, obviously. What the Hebrew writer says is that the reason why Jesus is able to be so, so gracious and merciful to us is because he knows exactly what this human experience is all about. He has experienced all of it. And now he says, as a result of that, now he can empathize with us. He can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And he invites everybody who has any need for the grace and mercy of God to come boldly there before the throne of grace. Because when we do that, that is where we receive mercy. And we find grace to help us in our time of need. I mean, we, we need this mercy of God every time that we draw a breath. And yet the much harder challenge to us this morning is this. I imagine every person in this auditorium has people who either it was very hard forgiving or we still haven't really forgiven them. We, we're still resenting them this morning. I imagine that there is a person who we know who just thinking about what their face looks like in our minds, it makes our, our blood pressure skyrocket. It makes our, our hands ball up into a fist. And we just don't like these people. We don't want to forgive them. Yet here's the question. When we find ourselves being unforgiving, is this how I want Jesus to treat me? Is this how I want Jesus to respond to all of my imperfections and to all of my vast failures? When we allow unresolved conflict and animosity and bitterness to, to grow and to augment and to fester within us, just like a cancer, it is going to eat our hearts alive. It's been said that, that when we forgive somebody, we are setting a prisoner free after a long time, only to discover that that prisoner all along had been us, just because of how horrible it feels when we are unforgiving towards a person. So as we bring this to a close this morning, it is, it is not strike three and you're out anymore, but it's 70 times seven. It's 150,000 years worth of wages. It's 22 trillion, 29 billion, 429 million dollars that he has forgiven us of in terms of sins. Mercy is our greatest need. And thankfully to the God of heaven, mercy is his greatest promise to us. Praise God that, that our clock's are striking zero this morning, all of us who are in Christ. I'd like to pray. Our Father in heaven, you know every single thing that we've ever done in our lives. You know every thought that has ever entered into our minds that is opposed to your Lordship. And yet strangely and profoundly, your mercies are new for us every single morning. Lord, please help us to learn how to live this way. Help us to be people who show mercy rather than who want to get even. Because this is what it is to be a Christian. This is not an option, Father. If we want to be a Christian, we must be men and women of mercy.